Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. For the purposes of understanding the points that Ayer is making in chapter one of Language, Truth, and Logic, where he's introducing some of his key ideas, it's useful to follow out a distinction that he's making. And I have to point out, he's making this in kind of a loose way that as you go further into the book, you see that some of these terms may not fit perfectly, but it works well enough for understanding the examples that he brings up and the general points that he wants to to make. So he's going to talk about empirical, he calls them hypotheses, although he also uses experiential statements and propositions more or less uh, synonymously with that. We'll we'll see exactly how they fit in 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 a moment. And then he talks about tautologies. And strictly speaking, a tautology is somewhat of a narrow thing, but we're going to talk about how this fits in. And then this big category of nonsense. And, And why does he bring this up? Well, one main thrust of this entire work is to say that much of what we call philosophy is actually nonsense and we should confine ourselves to a much smaller ambit or scope when it comes to what we're doing in philosophy, that which we can successfully analyze primarily linguistically but you know, also in terms of harnessing the natural or social sciences or everyday observation. And it's essentially, as he says, an empiricist project. So it harkens back to David Hume in particular, but the empiricists were also, you know, before Hume and had a similar project of reducing everything as much as possible to statements of experience. And the idea is that whatever it is that we're thinking about, we can call them concepts, ideas, we can look at it linguistically in terms of propositions. These are all ultimately either referencing experience which is the basic building blocks or raw content out of we out of which we build things, or they have to do with things that are non-experiential, like, for example, laws of logic or principles of logic or operations, if you like, or the very ways in which our language is arranged and the way our language works, what we can call logical grammar, to take a term from Wittgenstein, right? And so if that's the case, then we can eliminate a lot. This is quite similar to what Hume in the treatise and the very famous passage that gives rise to what people call Hume's fork, right? He says matters of fact, empirical propositions or hypotheses or relations of ideas. If it's not either one of those, then cast it in the flames for it can contain nothing but sophistry, right? And that would be the nonsense that we're talking about here. So now that we've had a little bit of history lesson, let's talk about what the difference is between these and why Ayer thinks this is an important set of distinctions. So empirical statements, or the term that he uses in chapter one is primarily hypotheses, are propositions that can be true or false. So 
We don't actually know in, in many cases whether they are true or false, but they have to be either true or false. And if they're empirical, then they could be one or they could be the other. If you say, well, they can only be true, then it's not an empirical proposition, right? An empirical proposition is something that you would look to, to verify through experience in some way as being true or false. It's held, you could say, in suspension between these two polarities until you've decided it. And even when it's true, it's possible in some other conceivable situation or world that it could be in fact false. So an empirical proposition might be something like, I am 49 years old at this point in time, which happens to be a true proposition right now, but give it a year and it's a false one. Or go backwards in time another year and it becomes a false one, right? There are other things which are less liable to be eroded by time. Milwaukee is a city in Wisconsin. True now, wasn't true around say 1600 or so, and it may not be true in the future. You know, perhaps it'll change in some way by nothing being here, or perhaps we'll not call it Milwaukee, we'll actually call it after the parlance of those who live here, Milwaukee, right? And we'll rewrite it as M-W-A-U-K-E or something like that. You know, that's possible to say that something changed and went from being true to false. So that's empirical propositions. Tautologous propositions are always going to be true. And there's actually a, a, you know, a sort of correspondent to this in propositions that would always be false as well. There's nothing empirically that could make them true. They would always be false. A great example of that is one plus one equals three. It's, you know, unless you're doing some weird linguistic sleight of hand, that's just not going to be the case, right? So propositions that can only be true, and we might actually say sets of propositions that can only be true as well, because many things that are tautologous, it's because of the ways that they're arranged in relation to each other. Then we have nonsense. Air says that nonsense is strictly speaking pseudo propositions. Pseudo strictly speaking means false, but they can't actually be false. So we have to understand, well, actually pseudo technically speaking in Greek means lie, pseudos, right? Lying propositions. They're not actually lying propositions because if they were, they'd be empirical. Instead, they're, you could say they're lying in a certain sense about themselves in asserting that they actually are propositions in in the same sense empirical propositions are because they're neither true nor false. And they're not neither true nor false just because we don't know or because they're somehow wavering between them, but rather because there's no way in which they could be true or false. Now notice the difference between nonsense and tautologous propositions. Tautologous propositions, there's no circumstances under which we could falsify them, but they're still true. Nonsense can be neither verified nor falsified. There's just nothing there to work with in terms of empirical sense or in terms of what we might call logical structure. So again, let's go back through this. What do the empirical propositions include? All hypotheses that can be verified by experience or observation. I am wearing a tie right now. This tie belongs to me. 
Hmm, is that an empirical proposition? I don't have like a deed of title of this tie, nor do I have a receipt, but I think you can say that it actually is an empirical proposition. You could ask around and get enough people to say, yeah, that's that guy's tie, and it would fit there. You know, it, it, there's nothing in the logical necessity of things or even the way in which we understand property to make it automatically be my tie. And, you know, part of the evidence of this is that I could donate this tie to Goodwill or raffle it off to my viewers or, or listeners or something like that, right? And, and alienate this tie from myself. Uh, but it is something that could be verified. And we could go on and on and on. You know, there's grass in the park right now, even under the snow. Now, notice that's a little bit of a complex proposition. I'm asserting that there is snow, which happens to be true right now, but won't be true most of the year. And I'm also asserting that underneath that snow, there is grass. So there's there is snow and there is grass, which happens to be true most of the year, but it's not a tautologist statement. The city could come through in the park and rip all the grass up, or we could have a terrible drought here, or who knows, a fire, and then the grass would be gone. So all hypotheses that can be verified by experience or observation are what we call empirical or experiential. Tautologists would include all the necessarily true propositions. For example, those of mathematics like one plus one equals two or things that we're able to prove as theorems. Think about the Pythagorean theorem or statements. We're sticking with really basic stuff here. Like within a triangle, the angles add up to the sum of two right angles, which is 180 degrees. How the ancients and the medievals and early moderns thought of it, even within non-Euclidean geometry, where a triangle could have more than 180 or less than 180 degrees, there's still like a system of rules that you're working within, a logical structure. And here's where logic and language actually uh, come together, right? These are often what, what Ayer will call analytic propositions, meaning that they're not made true by experience in any way. They are functions of the way in which logic or language works. And Ayer, I think, thinks that mathematics is essentially an outgrowth of logic. And so they could be linguistic, like a bachelor is an unmarried male. That's tautologist. There's no circumstances under which that uh, statement would ever be false, right? It can't be falsified. And because it can't be falsified, it really can't be verified either. It just simply is. Nonsense includes, and this is one main part of what this book is about, especially in the later chapters, everything that Ayer would call metaphysical. All metaphysics is in essence nonsense, according to Ayer. Ethical propositions, insofar as they're actually part of ethics, turn out to be nonsense as well. At least in a factual sense, they, they can convey something emotional, aesthetic, religious statements as well, non-verifiable, not tautologous. They, strictly speaking, on a factual level, don't signify anything. So empirical statements talk about the observable or empirical world, or they could talk about our inner experience. I could say I am remembering the smell of a cinnamon bun 
fun right now, right? Could be true or false, depending on whether I am. In fact, remembering that you can't look inside my head and see whether I am. There are some statements like that, or if I say I am in pain, presumably that's still an empirical statement, although it can't be verified by you. Tautologist statements don't actually talk about the empirical world. Even though they may have components that seem to be talking about the empirical world, they're not actually about the empirical world. And then finally, nonsense doesn't talk about the empirical world, but it may and generally does express feelings or emotions or moral sentiments, all sorts of other things. There is one other thing that I do want to point out, and this is towards the end of chapter one. Um, Ayer says that he might be thought to be saying that metaphysics is merely poetry or literature. And he says, the view that the metaphysician is to be reckoned among the poets uh, rests on an assumption that both talk nonsense, but this assumption is false. So we have to be careful with like aesthetic or uh, some other languages. In the vast majority of cases, the sentences which are produced by poets do have literal meaning, right? Put aside nonsense things like, you know, Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky, Twas Brillig and the Slithy Toves did Gyre and Jimble in the Wave. Nobody knows what the hell any of that means, although it's very suggestive, right? But if I say something like, the box is in the little red wagon and that's why things are so screwed up, those, those things actually have literal meaning. They could be false, and as a matter of fact, he goes on and he says that many literary works are largely composed of falsehoods, but this does not mean that they are composed of pseudo-propositions. It's really only when they start to become metaphysical or, or start to make all sorts of ethical claims that we're dealing with pseudo-propositions on the part of the literary authors, right? Whether it's poetry or prose or what have you. So this is an important set of distinctions. The, the one last thing I do want to say is, strictly speaking, a tautology is going to be a proposition or a set of propositions that must be true because of their logical structure. And we don't want to think just in terms of single statements, but we could also think of frameworks as, as well. So that's, that's important to think of going forward. And that connects us back to Hume and talking about matters of fact and relations of ideas. Relations of ideas could encompass many, many ideas, but there's no connection to empirical observation or facts in that case. So this is what Air is working with here in chapter one. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.